why don't we lift our hands across the house right now. I want us to make a shift in our thinking right now. And I want us to begin to pray with an expectancy that God can still break chains, that God can still do the miraculous, that God can still do the things that we read about in the Bible. Begin to pray with an expectancy that God can do anything that you've asked for. I want you to begin to pray that the Lord can save that backslider. The Lord can heal your body. The Lord can break chains. Begin to pray right now with an expectancy and faith. anybody believe God can still do the miraculous? Why don't we just take a minute and praise Him for what He's already done in this service. Praise Him for the miracles we've already believed we've received. Somebody give God a new praise, a new shout. God is so thick in here. We want to continue to flow with that spirit. I'm not going to take any time and, and try to disrupt it, but I actually just want to jump into the word while we're here. Pray the spirit continues to move with us and that it will speak to us and that we will leave here different than the way we came in. Amen. I never want to come into a church service and leave the same way I came in. But tonight, this morning, we can leave here different. We can leave here with a new mind, a new heart situations changed, bodies healed. We can leave here differently. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 28. I want to say thank you, Bishop and the pastoral staff for this opportunity to be able to preach this morning. Amen. This sermon this morning is very dear to me. If you're turning, you can turn to chapter verse 15, 1 Samuel 28, 15. Uh, this subject is, as I mentioned, very dear to me. Um, I've given it a specific name that I'll mention here closely, and it actually came up when I was speaking to my then at the time, just girl I was interested in, now my wife, Julie. Uh, we asked ourselves uh, the question I asked her one night. I'd always ask her, you know, you know how people are when they're talking. They're just, you know, ask a bunch of questions. And I asked her what her biggest fear was, and she told me hers. And then she asked me what mine was. And this is what I'm going to preach about a little bit this morning, my biggest fear. And I'll tell you about it here after these verses. Starting at verse 15, and Samuel said to Saul, this is uh, the spirit of Samuel speaking to Saul. Um, we won't go to the details of how Samuel's here. This is after his death. Um, I believe that God sent his spirit to speak to Saul in this situation. You can do your own study as far as that and read before. But we're going to just focus on what Samuel told Saul. And Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed for the Philistines make war against me. And God is departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore have I called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. He, he couldn't hear God. He went everywhere to try to find the voice of God, but the spirit left him. And he was coming to a Samuel who was already dead at this point. 
Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and has become your enemy, Saul? The Lord has done to him and has spake by me, for the Lord has rent the kingdom out of your hand and has given it to your neighbor, to David. Because you saw, you didn't obey the voice of the Lord. You didn't execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. For this moment, for a brief, brief moment this morning, I want to talk to us about this subject, the fear of Saul, the fear of Saul. Pray with me for just one moment before we take a seat. Lord, we thank you for your presence that's already here this morning. We thank you, God, for for just how present and thick and tangible we can feel you in this place. Lord, we praise your word comes forth, that it will fall on the good soil of our hearts, Lord, that we may receive it and it may bear fruit, that we may leave this service better, that we may leave this service closer to you with a more intimate relationship, Lord, that we can see it, we can see you do a work in our life, we can see you do a work in Omaha. Let your word not come back void in the name of Jesus I pray amen you may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning amen as as a younger man I guess you could say a kid at this point um I I was very I was very obsessed with basketball I really wanted to be good at basketball and and doing so forth there was a lot of practice that came into it a lot of team practices individual practices and one of the things that I had to do as a younger person was wake up early to practice now it's just called a job but I had to wake up early and practice um, basketball, and there was, it wasn't something I was fond of, not something I liked, and it was really hard to do, but I wanted to be really good at basketball. So um, the way that I motivated myself was I'd watch motivational videos. I would go on YouTube, and I'd watch motivational videos to you know, wake me up in the morning. My, my alarm clock still to this day is the Rocky theme song. Uh, every morning I wake up, I'm ready to fight, I'm ready to go um, every morning. So that's how I would, how I'd get myself going was those motivational videos, and in watching these videos, I came across a man who, the way he talked, the way he acted, it just, it captivated, it captivated me as someone who was striving to be a great athlete. Uh, this man's name was Muhammad Ali. You might have heard of him. He is known as the greatest boxer of all time, um, arguably the greatest athlete of all time. Um, and he, he was just a figure that, that captivated me. And every word he said is, was just well thought out and clever. But the thing about Muhammad Ali that made him so different was how much he proclaimed the word greatest. He always used the word great, greatest. He, said, he would always say, I must be the greatest. I am the greatest. And he would always say that because he truly believed that he was going to be the greatest boxer ever. Even from a kid, if you read his bibliography, or, uh, you will find that he, he always said that he was going to be the greatest boxer ever, and he really believed it. Muhammad Ali, although the title of the greatest belongs to Jesus, but as far as boxing is concerned, he, he did become the greatest. He wasn't satisfied with mediocrity. He wasn't satisfied with just being another average boxer that you'll remember later on in life. He truly wanted to be the greatest he could be. And I think we can all relate to that in a sense because nobody wants to just be okay. Nobody wants to be mediocre in their life. Nobody wants to just get by. In a sense, all of us have an innate call to greatness. We all have an innate call to be more, to do more. That's who we are as humans. We always want more. Psychology confirms this uh, characteristic, this trait. There was a man named Abraham Maslow. You may have heard of him. Um, he made what is called a hierarchy of needs. And I just want you to imagine it's like a triangle. 
And there's little sections in this triangle at the bottom. It shows like your most important needs. So physiological needs such as water, air. And at the top, it showed needs that weren't as crucial as that, but they were still needs nonetheless. And at the top of that list is something whenever I first, uh, I think it was my first psychology class in college, whenever I read it, it, it it's really stood out to me. It was something called self-actualization. And let me explain what that means. On this list of needs, it says self-actualization is the realization of a person's potential, self-fulfillment, seeking personal growth and peak experience. Maslow describes this level as the desire to accomplish everything that one can and to become the most that one can be. The way I remember Maslow describing it, he said, if someone is born a painter, they must paint. If someone is born a musician, they must sing or play music. And in our terms, if someone is a preacher, they must preach. Without doing so, there will be no fulfillment in their life. They will always have a void in their life because they're not living up to the potential they have. Keep in mind, this is, entire secular, this is entirely secular psychology stating this. This is not the word of God. But little did Maslow know that what he was describing was something biblical. The void in people's life that, that void that they can't fill, that, that fill to a calling, a greater calling in our lives, it, it's in the Bible, it's who we are. We all have a greater calling, a higher calling, as the Bible puts it. If that comes out in, in you know, forms of talent, such as music, such as art, and so forth, that's fine. But the only true fulfillment in life comes through Jesus. It doesn't come from this world. It doesn't come from jobs. It only comes through finding God, aligning ourselves to the will of God and hearing his voice, obeying it. And in doing so, then we can amount to what we have been called to be. And there we will find a fulfilling life. Any life that is void of God's spirit is a life where self-actualization is lacking. It's a life void of true fulfillment. Any life that avoids chasing after that high calling is a life that will always be chasing after something else, and they will never find that fulfillment. So we all have that innate call to be more, that innate call to greatness. We all have amount of potential on our lives. This leads me to Saul. Saul held one of the most important positions in the entire Bible. He really did, yet we don't speak of him. Yet we don't hear about wonderful sermons preached of how great King Saul was. We, we don't preach about the great victories in King Saul's life, and uh, we, we don't write books about King Saul and how good he was, how awesome he was, yet he had one of the most important positions in the entire Bible. Instead, we hear names like Abraham, Elijah, Paul, Peter, and of course, David, but no one ever says, oh yeah, King Saul, he's my favorite. He's the one that I want to be like. He's the one I want to I wanna live up to. No, it's quite the opposite. It's his predecessor, David, or the man who came after him, David. If you read the beginning of Saul's story, you would think that you're reading about the beginning of another great hero in the Bible. If you just take little knowledge of the Bible and just read his, his intro and his story, you would think, wow, this man's going to do some great things. Saul, he, he's got everything you would want to see in a king. He, he's got everything going for him. And he held, as I mentioned, one of the most important uh, roles in the whole Bible. He was the very first king of God's chosen people. He essentially took the place uh, the formal role of where God used to be, and now God was going to speak through Saul, and he was going to lead the people. So that was, that was his, he was the very first king, a very important position. And he had one job description. His, his job description was very short. I work with job descriptions. I'm a recruiter, and they're not very short. But this one, it was about this tall, and it was listen to God and obey God. That was his job description that he had to take care of. And Saul had all the potential in the world, yet he isn't the king, we remember, because he couldn't 
hold to the job description. He couldn't do what he was called to do. Saul didn't do the only most important duty. Not only with that, was Saul was disobedient fleshly, and he lacked repentance in his life. On one occasion, Samuel addressed, on the occasion that Samuel addressed in our original verses, Saul was told his enemy would, uh, to defeat his enemy completely and don't leave anything. No survivors, no livestock, anything. He was told to go in and utterly destroy them, and he disobeyed the voice of the Lord. Saul only partially obeyed the voice, and he was in the middle. He took some of the things he wasn't supposed to. He killed other things, and he made God's voice to what he wanted it to say. That's, that's a scary place to be in whenever we can twist God's word to make it what we want it to say. He was halfway. He wasn't committed fully to God's word. 